Good to be together this morning and a wonderful time together just to welcome new members. Um, so grateful, always amazed at how God builds His church, and brings people to us, and brings people to Himself, adds them to our church. So, um, so welcome, guys, officially as members. We're so glad you're part of this church. And my name is Paul Buckley, by the way. If you're uh, new as a guest, just to let you know who I am. I'm one of the pastors here. We have a, a team of pastors. There's three of us, um, and there's actually four, but the fourth one uh, we sent on a church plant. He's in Salem, Mass, and um, starting uh, their own church there and their own eldership. Um, and uh, it's my job on m- uh, many Sundays, I guess most Sundays, to, to teach God's Word so we're glad you're here today. And if you have any questions about membership, we'd love to help answer those. Um, if you're, you've been attending for a while and you're feeling God call you to this body, uh, we'd love you to consider membership. And so we can talk about that. Um, but we are uh, a church that is formed by the Lord Himself. And He forms His uh, people by His Word. His Word is living and active. Uh, it's powerful and effective. And so it behooves us to be in His Word as His people, certainly individually, but on a Sunday as well. We come to hear Him. And so the, the teaching and proclamation of God's Word is an important part of our worship, among other elements. You've already seen us uh, sing. And, uh, and we will celebrate uh, the Sacrament of Communion as well shortly. Uh, so these things are part of our worship. And, um, and this is an important component. So we're making our way through 2 Corinthians as a church. Uh, we are getting near the end of this series, and um, it'll take us, I think, uh, just to Christmas time or so. We'll have a Christmas series, and then I believe we're going on next to the book of Exodus. Um, so we're making our way through, through Scripture. All of Scripture is given to us by God to build us up and to equip us and to renew us in Him. Um, so we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, looking at verses 16 through 33. Um, let me start out with a pretty stark example of this Scripture. Um, starting in the early 1970s, a man named Mike Warnke uh, became a well-known Christian comedian and evangelist. Uh, at the peak of his fame, I don't know if you remember, some of us who are old enough remember him, uh, at the peak of his fame in the late 1980s, he sold over a million records and took in over a million dollars per year for his ministry. If you remember, he told these wild stories of his previous experience in Satanism uh, as a high priest and working with a large coven of witches. Um, He talked about ritual sacrifices and all sorts of terrible things, orgies and so forth. He was regarded actually as a nationally known expert on Satanism. So he appeared on Larry King Live and and the the old series 2020 on ABC. Um, He spoke of other wild things that he had been involved in. uh, His time in Vietnam, uh, he talked about being wounded five different times. Um, He spoke of his hippie lifestyle and his heavy drug and alcohol abuse. And he weaved this all together uh, with his comedy and with a a proclamation of the good news of Jesus. So, who here remembers Mike Warnke? Hopefully a good amount of us, yeah. Um, And I guess if you know about him, you probably know that in the early 1990s, he was the subject of an investigation. And that investigation revealed that almost all of his stories were made up. There was no evidence of him ever being involved in Satanism. He was never a hippie, according to his friends. Never had long hair. Never was into heavy drug and alcohol abuse back then. He was only in Vietnam for six months. And 
He, was, he did receive a Purple Heart, but it doesn't look like he was wounded more than once. And as his different friends who knew him back in those days where he said all these things went on were, were asked what they thought of this, their response was basically, they laughed and they said, boy, he can tell Whopper lies. Um, that's what they said about Mike Warnke. Um, and sadly, much of the Christian population of our country fell for Mike Warnke and his, his incredible tales, his charisma, um, his apparent sincerity, and his fascinating tales. We were really all bewitched by his boasting. And that's the title of today's message, and that's the subject of this section of Scripture. Um, it is a warning to us not to be, wit- to be bewitched by boasting, but to understand the sorts of things that characterize and qualify mature Christians. So let's pray, and we'll get into God's Word and learn from Him about this important topic. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, um, thinking about that experience with Mike Warnke and any other experience that might go on. You don't leave us alone to try to figure it out. You've given us Your Word. And You equip us with Your Word. And Lord, You want to equip us today and in a way that makes us like Jesus together. Makes us discerning. Makes us understand. And helps us to walk in these things. So thank You for that. And I pray you'd help me to, to clearly uh, proclaim your truth, to teach it and proclaim it. And I pray that you would speak through me and we would hear from you and we would be uh, equipped by you and encouraged by you as well. So lead me in everything I say and help me to serve your precious people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 11, uh, verses 16 to the end. And if you have a Bible, read along there. If you don't have one, um, you can follow up on the screen as well. So... Let's see, I need 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians. There was a time I I preached in my early days, and I didn't realize I was in the wrong passage until I was like halfway through the paragraph. I was like, wait a second, this doesn't sound quite right. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I may too boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, uh, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? 
And I'm not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped His hands. God's Word from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As I said earlier, this section of Scripture teaches us not to be bewitched by boasting, but instead to understand that mature Christians do not boast of their own deeds and point to themselves, but they are content with their weaknesses so that in their weaknesses they might point to Christ. Do not be bewitched by boasting, but instead understand that mature Christians point to God through their weaknesses, not to themselves through their strengths. So let's talk about those two things. Being bewitched and then boasting. So first, bewitched, verses 16-21. through 21. Paul starts here saying, um, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. He's going to address these categories of wisdom and foolishness. This whole section of Scripture is about this. He, he goes into these, these categories of foolishness and wisdom. And the problem with the Corinthians is they have it upside down, though in the world's view, perhaps it looks right side up. But Paul wants to rescue them from, from this mix-up of what truly is wise and what truly is foolish. And so he's going to enter into this this argument that he's presenting in order to help them get things right side up. And he uses multiple approaches in this whole section. So we're, we're going through, actually it started in chapter 10 and it's going to go through chapter 12, this whole, uh, this whole purpose of Paul, this whole discussion by Paul of trying to help the Corinthians understand what real wisdom is. And so in doing that, he enters into their foolishness and turns it upside down. That's what he's doing here. So we'll get into it and we'll see how that happens. Now, um, it might be hard for us to, to kind of understand look at this passage and even think you know what's going on why is this such an issue and i think it's important for us to maybe understand a little bit of the cultural background uh, to this that in their culture these things of course are still true for us still applicable for us but in their culture at the time uh, boasting was actually a, a very normal part of of the culture and uh, bible commentator paul barnett says he says it best i'll just read what he says uh, he says through christian influence on western values boasting is regarded as brash and impolite. Humility and self-effacement have traditionally been regarded as virtues. In Paul's day, it was quite otherwise. People in Greco-Roman antiquity possessed no hope of glory in an afterlife. A detached immortality was the most one could expect. Therefore, it was customary to achieve glory in this life and to boast of one's achievements in this life. Thus, citizens and soldiers, without embarrassment and as as a social convention, outdid one another in boasting of military and political achievements. They were listed on monuments or public buildings, dep depicted in household murals. So imagine in your house you'd have a picture of all the great things you had done. That was part of normal society. And set forth in epic narratives. A good example is the res gestae, um, and that's the funeral uh, eulogy of, of the Emperor Augustus, in which he pr proudly recounts his many victories, official positions in Roman society, successfully completed buildings and other accomplishments. And so it was just out there. It was normal. Now, our culture, and often we, our culture, I think, misses this. We've been tremendously influenced by Christianity. And a lot of our, the values we assume are actually were not common in those days. Uh, and, and I could list a number of those, but certainly uh, we value at least the appearance of, we value humility and we, and we require at least the appearance of humility. But back in that day, it just, it actually wasn't even required or expected. If you were a leader or some person of influence, you were expected 
to boast. And that's part of the background here. And, and for the Corinthians, it was part of what they expected of leaders and what they expected of good leaders. And when good leaders didn't do this, they thought there was something wrong with that leader. And so Paul enters into this uh, culture and enters into the uh, city of Corinth and re- reaching them for Christ. And he wants to help the Corinthians understand, well, this is not God's way. This is the world's way. And so he has to go after this issue because it's actually harming the church there. Because what's happening is there are false leaders who are coming in after Paul had established the church and are basically looking really good in the world's eyes. And they are bewitching people. They are thinking, well, these must be the legitimate leader. And Paul, who's that guy? He, he was weak and he, he didn't like to talk about his strengths. And, and we want, we want you know, the right sort of leader here. And so these, these false leaders had stepped in and they were boasting. They were boasting of a better gospel than Paul, being better leaders, having a better spiritual pedigree, and better spiritual experiences, and, and better stories of risk and danger. And so they looked legit and they looked gifted. And they've been conned. The Corinthians have been conned by these guys because their categories of wisdom and foolishness are mixed up. And they end up, they're, they're really, they've, in, they've sold themselves to these guys. Paul is appealing to them to listen to him. And and as he's talking there, he says in verse 19, For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. He's speaking of these false leaders. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. So Paul's saying, you guys are basically being conned by these guys, and they're coming in and they're abusing you. And you're rejecting the legitimate leaders who are there to build you up and serve you and not abuse you in any way. These guys somehow had come in and they had enslaved them through, through asserting their leadership. We don't know the specifics, but it's likely that they had introduced some sort of legalism into the church. They had introduced some sort of falsehood, some sort of perverted gospel that, that said probably something like this, like, well, yes, Jesus did die for your sins and rise again, and you need to believe in Him, but you also need to do X, Y, and Z, and you need to have certain experiences of God. You need to have some certain subjective experiences to really to, to be legitimate. And you need to, to perhaps do these certain things and observe these certain rules. And if you do that, you'll, you'll be accepted. Uh, so it's Jesus plus something else. And, and so they had been enslaved. Because the Gospel, if we understand the, the, the pure Gospel, the true Gospel, the, the Gospel frees us. The Gospel, which means good news of Jesus, is the, the message, the simple message that Christ died in our place on the cross. He bore our sins. That, that we all, but the background to that is that we all owe God all our lives, all our hearts, all our love. And we owe one another to love one another as ourselves. And we've all fallen short of that. And the just penalty is to be cut off from God and and to live in separation from Him. And and if we continue in that throughout our lives, we'll spend eternity like that. There's nothing worse. Nothing uh, worse imaginable than to be separated for eternity from God. And yet God in His great mercy and love. Of His own choice, not because He was compelled by your virtues, but simply because of His mercy and grace and His love, uh, sent His Son. God took on flesh, the second person of the Trinity. Became a man, lived a righteous life, then died in your place on the cross. He died to pay for all of your sins, all of, all of your failures, all the things you've done that you shouldn't have done, all the things you failed to do that you should have done. He took the penalty fully on Himself, died in your place, and then rose again victorious over sin and death on the third day. And through simple faith, simply just saying, I turn away from my sin and I trust Christ, through simple faith in Him, you are credited with His atonement and His righteousness. You are forgiven fully 
And finally, and there's nothing else you need to do to receive God's acceptance except simply trust Christ for that. When you get that, you're free. You're free from feeling like you have to live up to God's expectations. As good as they might be, you're free. You're forgiven for that. You're free in Jesus. You're free from trying to earn your righteousness because Christ alone has earned it for you. You're free. And now, of course, we're called to use our freedom to love one another. Where there's no more penalty for sin. We're forgiven. We're reconciled to God. We're part of the family. We're safe. We're free. And so what do we do? What we do as Christians flows out of that freedom, out of that relationship, out of that love. It's not slavery trying to earn a disapproving father's favor, but it's being forgiven and free in him. And yet the Corinthians had traded that wonderful gospel of freedom for something else because they had been taken in by these guys. And these guys have enslaved them and they've devoured them. Paul uses that word. They have devoured. It's like a wolf eating sheep. And that's how you know, actually, the difference between real leaders, real Christians, and false ones, false leaders. Real leaders sacrifice their lives for the sheep. False leaders sacrifice the sheep for their lives. And so these guys were using the Corinthians. And they probably were, they were taking advantage of the Corinthians. They were probably setting up a system where they were being paid by the Corinthians to do what they were doing, which is just so whacked, right? To, they, so they had enslaved them, they were uh, dominating them, and yet the Corinthians were, were paying for it and subsidizing all this because they thought they were great leaders because of their boasting. So Paul's getting at that. And it was really ridiculous, and he wants them to see that these guys, they put on airs, they're clearly proud and boastful, they're domineering, and, they, and he gets vivid in his, his description. He talks about them striking you in the face. Uh, they put on airs or strikes you in the face, and you guys receive it. We don't know whether that was actual, probably is metaphorical. And they're basically, they're abusive leaders. So when the Corinthians are not doing what they like, they're, they're being abused by these leaders. And yet these guys fully embrace their leadership. It, it's upside down. And Paul wants them to be woken up from this. To be shaken out of this, this stupor that they're in. To see and be rescued and come back to, to biblical wisdom. He wants them to see what a real leader looks like. Now, if you deal with false things, the very best thing you can do to be able to recognize false things is to know the real thing really well. If you want to know what a real leader looks like, you want to, you, if you want to know what a false leader looks like and how to detect one, you need to know what a real leader looks like. And, and a real leader will point to the ultimate leader, the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Himself. And so listen to this description of Jesus and how He lives His life from Philippians chapter 2. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, though He is God in every way, though He has prerogatives as God to receive worship and the adoration and love of all people, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it, insisting on all the divine prerogatives that He had, but emptied Himself. Amazing. He emptied himself. He, he let go of those prerogatives to lower himself by taking the form of a servant. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. So God himself became human in all of its limitations and came and did that to be a servant. And being found in human form, in verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
This is, this is what leadership looks like. This is what a real leader looks like. It looks like Jesus. He's the ultimate leader. He humbled himself to serve others. He emptied himself of his prerogatives. He used his power to serve, not to subjugate. To the point of death, even death on a cross for our sins. He, he lowered himself under all of us. There's no person more humble than Jesus. Because he humbled himself under the, the lowest of us. Taking our sins on himself. And of course, God recognizes true servanthood, true leadership, true greatness. And so it says in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is Jesus. And this is what Paul wants the Corinthians to see, to be shaken out of their stupor, to see what leadership looks like, to see what mature Christianity looks like. So there's a warning in this to us. To be aware. To be discerning. To recognize false leaders from true ones. And to see these qualities in Jesus and see these qualities in, in Paul and others in the Scripture and to expect them in, in mature Christians, and expect them in, to, to develop in our own lives, and to expect those that are over us in the Lord to, to demonstrate these things. And, and to, to be aware, too, that sometimes it's subtle. The sad story of Mike Warnke is he used his gifts to subtly do things that we didn't detect because he didn't come out in, in some brash way, like he didn't walk around with his chest, chest puffed out saying, oh, I did this, I did that. He told stories that were that drew you in. And, and people can do that. They can actually appear very humbly, humble in, in how they relate, but they actually let their lieutenants boast on them. And they create a culture where they get lifted up by those around them while they appear humble. Let's see through all that to look for these sort of qualities we see in Christ in our leaders. To be discerning. To not fall for these things. To not be bewitched but to recognize that genuine, tested, and thorough humility that is content with substantial weakness and glad to that weakness even in order to point to God as the sort of leader that God wants. Now, understand that there's a lot of other aspects to leadership that are there in Scripture. So I'm not saying this is the only quality of leadership. There needs to be gifts. There needs to be character, of course. There needs to be experience. All those things are important. So, so, so let's not... Forget that. But with all that, there needs to be a person who doesn't boast of themselves, but instead is content with weakness to point to Jesus in it. And it should be normal. It should be a normal part of leadership culture and Christian culture to embrace weakness, to be aware of it, to be aware of limitations. I think we do this fairly well as a church, but I, I don't want there to be any mistake in uh, your understanding, to think that your leaders are somehow omnicompetent. Um, I can list out the things that I don't do well. I can list out the things that I struggle with. Um, I, I uh, as an intern, as I started, I've shared this with many of you, I shared it from the pulpit. As an intern, as I started to, to embrace my call to pastor, I was overwhelmed. And I actually had panic attacks. I had a month of intense panic attacks and anxiety. And it took me it took me years, actually, to probably fully recover from that. And I learned some things through that. I learned about my weakness. I learned about my limitations. I learned about the sufficiency of Christ. 
I got to a very low point in there where I thought that, that I might have to be put away because I was so severely affected by anxiety and panic attacks. But by God's grace, I remember this one simple thing. Christ had died for me. And I remember in those days, um, picturing myself just kneeling at the cross. I would get, I, for those of you who have struggled with those things, you know that, that sleep is no solace, that you, that you don't sleep um, when you're in that place. And so during the night, I would wake up and I would just struggle and it would come on me as I slept. And I would get out of bed and get on my knees and I would just picture myself at the cross and I would just hold on to Jesus' feet. And I, and I remember saying, I may lose my mind, but I'll have Jesus. Um, that's, that's me. Now, I know there's gifts and there's a call and there's all that, but there's weakness here too. This past summer um, was probably one of the most brutal summers of, of my Christian life. Um, and as a result, I think, I don't know, I've developed an ulcer. I'm dealing with uh, that and hopefully I'm feeling better. Um, but that's me. And those of you who know me, you know that I share that, those things freely and, and your other leaders do as well. But I know God's grace is sufficient. I'm learning in these things of, of how wonderful His grace is. And there's times... Uh, again and again, I'm just I, I'm beyond myself. I'm in situations like I don't have the energy, I don't have the heart. I'm not feeling very loving right now. I'm pretty tired, um, and yet His grace is sufficient. That's the reality, guys. And so don't fall for leaders who present a false reality of omnicompetence and that they can do everything well. No person can do everything well, and everybody struggles at that same level. And it does not help you, and it does not help me or other leaders for us to portray a, a, pers- a persona that's false. Because that doesn't point to Jesus. You guys need Jesus. You need me. <laughs> um, you need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so, mature leadership is content with that. And is not seeking to build people into how great the leader is. Or even how great the church is. Our church, I love our church, but our church is weak. We're limited. Um, we're messy. Um, and in some ways, that's good. There's just things that, you know... Uh, they're messy about us. And, and I hope that to some degree that's always the case. I never want to be so polished that people have a false expectation of what a church is. We forget to do things. We, we aren't always good at following up people who need care. And, and I know our heart is to do well in that. And so, so it's not an excuse to not try, but we're not, never going to be there. Um, there's so much, more, so much more like Jesus we could look. So let's be content with that and let's look to Jesus in that. So you don't want to boast of your ministry either or your church saying, hey, this church is great. We want people to see Jesus. And this church is great in many ways, but oh boy, we are desperate and needy for Jesus. And He is more than all we need. So don't be bewitched. Secondly, another, well, another weakness too is sometimes I lose track of time. So hopefully I'm going to move through the rest of this quickly. Second section we see Paul boast. Paul goes toe-to-toe with the false leaders in this, in this second part. And he does so to turn their game upside down. He, he, in a sense, beats them at their own game and then turns it upside down in a dramatic way. And so he goes through this section basically saying, I have a better pedigree, I'm a better servant, I'm a better missionary or apostle, I'm a better pastor, and I'm a better hero. So we'll move through that pretty quickly. Um, and he, he talks at length. So a better pedigree. He says, um, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. And elsewhere he says that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee and a son of a Pharisee. He's a Benjamite. So he can actually actually beat them in this category. These guys are, are saying, hey, we're, we're the super apostles because we're, we're Jews. And you actually need a Jewish person to be your leader. Not, nothing wrong, of course. It's wonderful to be a Jewish person. But they're saying, they're using that as a boast. And Paul's saying, oh yeah? How about that? I can, I can play that game too. 
And then he goes on, he says in verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. So they're saying they're servants and they're probably talking about all the things that they have done to serve Jesus. And he says, well, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman, but here we go. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings. So, so Paul had worked hard and he had been through so much for Jesus. He had been through countless beatings, often near death in his beatings. Five times he had received uh, at the hand of the Jews through the synagogue the, the punishment of 40 lashes minus one. This is 39 lashes with a whip. So he's scarred on his back. Five times he received it. Three times he was beaten with the Roman penalty uh, of beaten with rods. Um, so he's been through all this. He was stoned to death in Asia Minor and left for dead. So you want to talk about how zealous and faithful you are as a servant of Jesus? I can top that. Here's me. Here's what I went through. And this sort of stuff, by the way, still goes on. I was reminded of Richard Wormbrand, who was a, a pastor in Romania under the communists who was locked in solitary confinement with no light and almost no sounds for three years. In a box, basically. For three years. He was beaten, tortured with uh, bodily mutilation. They, he had the soles of his feet beaten off. He was burned. He was locked in a freezer. He went through all this, and by God's grace, he remained faithful. So this stuff still goes on. But for Paul, he's saying, you guys want to talk about how how zealous and faithful you are, here, here you go, I, I can beat that. He says, uh, verse 25, I'm a better missionary as well. And his work as a missionary and apostle, an apostle, by the way, is the same word as missionary. comes from the same root. Uh, he says, in my travels, he faced all these dangers. He was shipwrecked three times, lost at sea, uh, in danger from rivers, robbers, his own ethnic people, Others, the Gentiles, he's in danger in cities, in the countryside. He's in danger at sea. He's in danger from false brothers. Uh, he went through toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, going hungry and thirsty, in the cold without enough clothing. He went through all these things as part of his uh, call to be a missionary, an apostle. So they want to talk about what they went through? This is what I went through. It's, it, it's, it's really impressive, actually. But you notice in it all that he's not boasting of how great he was in all these things. He's boasting of, of how hard it's been. And in this, he wants to point to Jesus. So there's, there's a twist here. He's not saying, you know, I was in danger in rivers and I, and I just decided to walk on, the, on water across that river. He's not telling that sort of story. He's just saying, we're in danger of these the Russian rivers. All these sorts of dangers we faced. So he's pointing to the hardship and, and through that to Christ. He goes on in verse 28. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? So on top of all these amazing, crazy things, he's carrying a burden all the time. A burden in his love and his pastor's heart for God's people. The daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. So he carries these churches on his heart. And he suffers anxiety. He's tempted to anxiety. We learned early in chapter 1, right? Where, where he, was dealing, he and his team were dealing with such hardship that they felt the sentence of death. So they're dealing with temptation to depression and feeling just totally undone. And he talks earlier how that is to teach them to put their hope in the one who raises the dead. Well, now he's saying, you know what? It's really hard to carry these churches on my heart. I face the temptation to anxiety all the time. I'm tempted to worry about how people are doing. Verse 29, who is weak? And I'm not weak. And what he means by that, who, who is someone who's just unstable, unsure, um, not mature, struggling, having a hard time. Who's going through a hard time as a Christian because they're, they're not yet living in God's strength? And I'm not weak. I struggle with them. My heart goes out to them. I'm, I'm thinking about people this way. 
Then he says, who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? And this is likely a, a, an, a, a, he's pointing at what's going on with the Corinthians. That they're being made to fall by these false leaders. They're being tempted into things and falling into sin and falling into trouble. And he's indignant. He, it actually literally says, and I do not burn. So he, his heart for the people is when he hears of being abused by these leaders, he's burning. He's indignant. He's upset. These are God's precious people. How could that be done to them? And he lives this way all the time in all his labors. By the way, guys, uh, if you love others, you will experience the same thing. To love others is to have their joys be your joys and their struggles your struggles. And we're called to this. Certainly for everybody, but especially for your local church. And so becoming a member and being a member here means that you love each other at that level. You've just been joined to a bigger family, basically, when you become a member. And we know for those we love in our own families, their joys are our joys, their struggles are our struggles. If we love them, right? Of course. There's no way around that. Well, when you become part of a church, you just broaden your family to like 200 people. And so now their joys are your joys, their struggles are your struggles. That's the reality. And if you are a pastor, by the way, I, I, it's a noble calling. I don't want to discourage any young man from considering this call and any uh, young woman from considering the call to other aspects of leadership in the church, deaconesses and so forth. But you need to understand that, that um, to be in that role connects you with God's people in a way where it'll be very intense because the joys that they experience will be yours. There'll be times you're like, I can't believe I get to do this. Watching someone come to Christ, watching someone grow, watching someone take a step of faith and obedience, it's wonderful and it's, it's a holy honor at times. But then at other times, it's heart-wrenching because their sorrows are yours and their failures make you struggle. And there will be times when you have your heart ripped out because you love people. That's the reality. That's, that's the reality to loving people. And so this is part of Paul's experience. And, and he's wanting them to know, he's, remember he's boasting, but he's boasting in a way where he's going to turn it upside down. And he does that especially in the last section, verse 30. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, He was blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. So he wants to make sure they, that they know this is the absolute truth. He's not, this is not like a, an exaggeration of what a, what a person who's boasting might do. No, this is the, this is the plain truth. He says, at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So he's telling this story, a special story, and you might think, well, why does he go into detail here when other, otherwise he's just kind of you know, doing it in general, thinking like dangers in rivers. Dang you want to hear the story like, what was that danger in the river, Paul? Tell us more about that danger in the river. What went on? And then, but in this example, he's going into detail. What is he doing? Well, I think what he's doing actually is he's, he's acting very contrary to the culture. Because there, in the culture of the day, there was a special award given to soldiers called the, um, the, the mural crown. Um, and it was given to the soldier, actually the commander of the unit, that was first to go over a wall and conquer a city. And it was one of the highest honors you could get. And if you got this thing, you'd get a crown. It's a mural crown because it's Does this thing keep on going out on me? It's made out of a mural of the city wall. And, they, and it's made out of gold. They wrap it around to make a crown of it. So you wear basically on your head something that looks like the wall of a city. And it basically was like the best thing you could have. If you got the mural crown, you were the bomb. I mean, everybody wanted to know you and hear your story. Uh, there was probably no higher honor 
than having the mural crown. So you wear that baby around, and everybody's like, whoa, did you see that guy with the mural crown? And so Paul's alluding to this aspect of the, of the mural crown, and yet he's, he's telling it in a very opposite way. He's saying, you know, you know the thing about, I mean, he doesn't say this, but I think he's understanding this. You know that thing about the mural crown? I'll tell you my version of the mural crown. This is an embarrassing story. I didn't, I didn't climb over any wall to conquer a city. I had to be put in a basket and lowered out of the wall to get out of the city. And so he's boasting in his weakness in a way that was very contrary to what would be expected. And he's doing that because he wants to turn this whole thing upside down. He wants to boast in weakness. He wants people to put their faith not in himself and his exploits, but in Jesus. He doesn't want to have the, the biggest boast around. He wants to point to weakness. This is what Paul's doing here. He's leading the Corinthians away from false leaders and a false expectation of pure Christianity. He doesn't want them to be bewitched by boasting. He wants them to realize that true greatness is found in pointing out your weakness in order to point people to God. When you are weak, then you can be truly strong. Just in closing, let me uh, suggest three possible applications from this section. First, just let us recognize what true humility looks like. What true leadership looks like. Let us not be enamored by someone's gifting and experiences. Now, of course, when there's gifts and good experiences, we value that. But let us not be enamored by that and taken in merely by that. Let us instead, alongside seeing those things, see how their view of weakness functions. Do they point to Jesus? Are they comfortable with pointing out their weaknesses and the weaknesses of their ministry in order to point to Jesus? I think understanding that quality will protect us from false leaders. Let us do the same ourselves. Let us do the same ourselves. Let us be glad to embrace weakness rather than despise it. There's a tendency in all of us and in our culture to despise weakness. We don't want to hear about it. We, we, we think, TMI, don't tell me all that stuff. And of course, there are appropriate limits to what we share. We can overshare. But let, let us not be afraid to share our weaknesses. And let us embrace those weaknesses as we trust Jesus because it points us to Him. And, and let us embrace others who are experiencing weakness and not think, I don't know if I want to be around those people who are going through all that suffering. It kind of gets me down. I need positive stuff. Well, true positive stuff is actually embracing them in their weakness and watching them and helping them find true positiveness in Jesus who overcomes the world. So let us embrace each other in our weaknesses. Let us be unafraid to share our weaknesses and point to Jesus in it. And then thirdly, let us use whatever power and influence we have not to serve ourselves and lift up ourselves and promote our agenda, but empower others and serve others and raise others up to lead and serve the body. That together we might glorify the Lord. Let us be glad to pass the baton to others and see them be successful. Let us evaluate our success by how effectively we make others successful. Let's just take a minute now, prayerfully consider maybe one of those three applications for some specific relationship 
or person in your life. We'll do that for about a minute, just to maybe if it helps to close your eyes and think about that or write something down, and then we'll do a little bit of Q&A and transition from that.